Welcome to the Perfectly Preserved Podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Gomes. And I'm Anna Cash. Here, we come together to bring you a podcast all about preserving food safely, easily, and dare I say perfectly at home. We are master food preservers, moms, wives, and we love talking about canning. We've decided the world needs a podcast that shares up-to-date, modern, safe information about canning, dehydrating, freezing, freeze-drying, and more. We answer listener questions, teach beginner and intermediate techniques, and share our very best tips for preserving successfully. We'll show you how to find trusted recipes, sources, and more so you never have to second-guess your preserving practices again. Ready to can like a master preserver? Let's get into today's episode. Welcome to another episode of the Perfectly Preserved Podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about common canning mistakes and how you can fix them. We're going to talk about six major things that we've seen either in classes, talking to people, or on social media. Jenny, what are we going to start out with today? Okay, we are starting out with a very common one. It's known as open kettle canning, and we're going to put it on the same line as the upside down method. And each of these methods that we're going to be talking about, we're going to give a grade. Some of you may know that in my not podcasting life and not blogging life, I am a teacher. So I thought it would be valuable to give a letter grade to these canning practices because I think new canners falsely believe that if you commit any of these errors, then you immediately, immediately death, immediate botulism, immediate crisis. And that's not necessarily so. So for the canning practices that are especially terrible, especially a great way to grow botulism, they're going to get an F. And then for the ones that are like, uh, not really unwise, you know, they're going to get like a C minus or lower. Anna and I only teach techniques and methods that would earn an A or a B. So um, there will be no A's and B's given in this podcast. So back to the methods. The first method that we're going to talk about is the open kettle canning method, and it's closely related to the upside down method. So the open kettle method is the idea where people cook their preserves, their jam, or whatever they've got, and they put it into a hot jar and then put a lid on it, and that's it. And with the upside down method, they do the same thing, but then they turn it upside down on their countertop. And the problem with both of these methods is that it is skipping the part of the canning process, which is the processing. And in the canning processing where the jars are submerged in a boiling water bath or in an atmospheric steam bath in a steam canner, they're just missing that step where the steam and the heat force the oxygen out of the jar, and they're also missing the part where the heat kills any spoilers that may be present. Yeah. And to be honest, Jenny, uh, before I got my ball book or my USDA book, I did the upside down method with my jams because somebody told me that it was safe. And I don't condone it. I don't recommend it. There are steps that have to happen in order to make it free of that botulism toxin growing in your jams and jellies. That being said, jams and jellies are high acid foods. So what grade would you give the open kettle method if you were doing just jams and jellies? Mm, I'd give it a C minus. 
So it's probably not going to create an environment where the botulism toxin could grow because they're high acid. If it's a jam, jelly, something fruit uh, that's naturally high in acid, it's not going to create an environment where botulism could grow. So I would give it a C minus. And same for the upside down method. The upside down method, I'm not sure what the thinking is with how that is better than just leaving them upright, but it's the same grade. I'd give it a C minus. What about, Anna, if they were open kettle canning like tuna fish or plain green beans? So low acid foods are the highest risk for botulism. So I would give that an F. If you were to do this with pickled products, what would you give it? Oh, a C minus. Yeah. Because those are high acid. So unwise, definitely do better. We will recommend better techniques. But pickles also are not hospitable to the botulism toxin. Yeah. Okay. So let's move on to the next topic, which is processing your jars in a dishwasher. I had never heard of this until Jenny said something about it. And I am still equally confused about why somebody would recommend it. Jenny, take it away. How do you process in a dishwasher? So I have never done this. I didn't grow up with a dishwasher, I think is one reason why. But the well, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why, but I have never processed jars in a dishwasher, but I've had multiple followers over the years ask me about processing in the dishwasher because they know someone that does it. So I should start out by saying a lot of people warm their jars or heat their jars up in the dishwasher before they can with them. And that uh, is fine. That's a perfectly fine way of bringing the temperature of the glass up. I don't think it's necessary, but it certainly is can be an effective thing, and that's fine. But the question I've received and the method that is not recommended is filling your jars and then putting them in the dishwasher right side up with the lid on and then running like a, the hottest, longest cycle the dishwasher has. And the reason that this is problematic is because the heat in a dishwasher, well, one will vary from my dishwasher to Anna's dishwasher to someone else's dishwasher. And two, the heat will vary because it, it's really hot, it's washing, and then it's stopped. And then it comes back on and then it's warm again and it's inconsistent heat. So in order for jars to be processed in your boiling water bath or pressure canner or steam canner, the heat is consistent, right? The processing time is based on and hinging upon it being at a certain temperature for a certain amount of time, which guarantees that all the spoilers that may be present will be killed. So for this method, I think if it's a high acid recipe, it gets a C minus. And also like a waste of a load of dishes. <laughs> you might as well just fill that with dishes and use it as it's intended. Right. And my dishwasher, some of my, my fastest settings on the dishwasher are an hour long. So if you're processing your stuff for an hour in there. And like you said, it's an inconsistent temp. It's a, <laughs> I don't know. It just blows my mind that somebody would think to do that. So cheers for stumping me. <laughs> yeah. I can see the thinking like, oh, it's hot in there. It's really hot. It's it's over whatever temperature. And probably now many dishwashers, I bet, have the temperature on the digital display. I'm so low tech. I don't even have a fancy dishwasher like that. But I'm sure the thinking is, oh, it's getting hot enough. But the the real reason that you can hang your hat on is that it's an inconsistent level of heat. 
So the next item on our list is an oven canning process, which is also pretty common. I think Anna and I both see people do this on social media and have questions about it from our followers. But Anna, tell us, what is oven canning? So I've seen a couple different ways that people oven can. The first is to do, you know, their high acid foods in jars in the oven. The second that I've seen, and I don't know if you've seen this, Jenny, is where people do dry canning. So Mm. they put in things like flour or sugar. They put lids and rings on, and then they put it in the oven and process, quote unquote, process it for a certain amount of time to seal the lids to make it shelf stable. Both of these methods really aren't recommended because oven temperatures vary. And not only that, the oven temperature goes on and off to regulate throughout the cooking time. So if you think about like a tray of cookies going into your oven, there inevitably will be cookies that are a little bit more brown than the one like in my oven, the back of my oven is a lot hotter than the front. So the cookies in the back get really dark. The cookies in the front don't get as dark. And just think about that heat transfer for the items that you're putting in your oven. You'll know that there's inconsistencies in that heat transfer as well. Uh, I'm really glad you mentioned the two different types of oven canning. So the oven canning where they're just placing high acid jams or jellies or fruit, applesauce, I would give that a C minus, okay? It's probably not going to create an atmosphere where the botulism toxin could grow because those recipes would be high acid. Those foods are high in acid. And the I've had questions about the dry canning. So I can kind of understand the thinking of I want my flour or sugar or whatever to have an airtight seal or rice. I see beans. I see people doing that with all kinds of dry goods. I can see wanting to have it an airtight seal, but what do you think about canning those low acid dry foods, Anna? Well, it's just not recommended. So one of the ways that you can fix that is by, if you have to, repackaging into maybe mylar bags or glass jars with oxygen absorbers, um, using your food saver to remove the air out of jars. But yeah, that dry canning in the oven, it's just kind of like an unnecessary step if you have a food saver device or mylar bags and oxygen absorbers. And I think it's not doing the job that people want it to do because it's not forcing the moisture that is present. Surely, I know it doesn't seem like your flour has moisture in it, but it does have a little bit. And it's not forcing that moisture out to a sufficient degree either. So in my mind, it seems concerning that they're low acid and there's moisture and there's not... To me, there's like too many variables that make this an unwise an unwise one. Yeah. And yes, it will seal your jars, but just save yourself the trouble. I don't know if you do long-term um, grain storage, Jenny, but it's a big thing here where I live in Utah. So people will like, you know, borrow like a certain device that you can use for uh, number 10 metal cans. Mm. And then you throw oxygen absorbers in there and then that lid. So that's that's another way that you can um, have long-term grain or rice, wheat, flour storage. Yeah. So if you're serious about food preservation or these types of quantities, then an appropriate investment needs to be made in a different apparatus to achieve this goal. 
you got to do it a different way because this isn't recommended and it doesn't seem like a wise idea. And also that feels like a waste of a jar for like something that comes in such a large quantity. It seems like the receptacle in which you store it should be larger just from a pantry organization standpoint. That seems sort of silly. But anyway, I think that explains oven canning. And now a quick word about our courses. Want to learn more about canning? Check out our video courses. Anna's beginner and advanced canning courses are available at smarthomecanning.com. And Jenny teaches a variety of courses, including the super fast steam canning course at startcanning.com. Use code POD25 to get 25% off those courses today. That's code POD25 to get 25% off today. So let's move on to water bath canning, low acid foods. This is something that Jenny and I both have a really strong, firm stance on. We just don't recommend it at all. This is going to receive an F from both of us if you try and water bath can low acid foods. When do you see this, Jenny, and where have you seen it? Well, I see pretty often... I would say on social media and uh you know if you're perusing Pinterest or if you just google like let's say you were to google like a fajita canning recipe or a chili con carne canning recipe I can almost guarantee you will find someone who is processing that low acid food in a water bath and oftentimes they will disclaim and say, this is just the way I do it. You do you, you know, get out of my kitchen canning Karens. And we are here to educate you as to why that gets an F and why that is such a really poor decision. Water bath processes and steam canning processes, those are one and the same, get only up to the temperature of the boiling water or the atmospheric steam, which is 212 degrees, Okay. The temperature required to kill the botulism toxin in a low acid environment is 240. And that can only be achieved at home in a home canning setup with a pressure canner. So to those people who are recommending either directly or indirectly to water bath can low acid foods, I just, we cannot recommend you enough to run in the other direction from that type of advice. The other ones on this list is, you know, okay, <laughs> earnesty, whatever, that's your deal. But the water bath canning of low acid foods could not be a poorer idea. Yeah, I think there's a lot of history behind water bath canning. You know, a lot of people before there were pressure canning devices available, they would uh, water bath for a really long time. And there are still groups of people in the United States of certain religions <laughs> and that still water bath can everything and they just do it for a very long time. And the reason that it's not recommended isn't because water bath canning isn't a good idea. It's just not a good idea for low acid foods. It's recommended that that temperature get up to 240 degrees to 250 degrees Fahrenheit, depending on your altitude to kill that botulism toxin spore from growing in that anaerobic environment. So while you may see really old cookbooks with recommendations for long boiling processing for low acid foods, it's just not recommended anymore. So 
let's dive a, just a touch deeper on that. The idea that by just boiling things longer, does the temperature of that product inside the jar or the boiling water, does that go up the longer you boil, Anna? I wish that was the case. We wouldn't <laughs> have to have pressure canners otherwise. Uh, but no, it stays at that 212. Yeah. Um, that's the temperature that things boil at. Doesn't matter if you boil it until tomorrow because, because it's never going to get hot enough to kill that. Is the right word from the Master Preserver course thermophilic? They love heat. They do okay in some heat. Is that right? Yeah. For botulism? Yeah. So the botulism toxin is a thermophilic thing. It's not killed with just a long, hot bath of 212 degrees. That doesn't do what you're hoping it would do or what a person would be hoping it would do. What it has to have, if it's in a low acid recipe, is the high, high heat of the pressure canning environment. So water bath canning, low acid foods, we see that sometimes with meat. We see it I'm trying to think of other recipes where I've seen it, but I think it's just mostly been like chicken breasts and, oh, I think one time I saw someone water bath canning eggs, like hard boiled eggs. Also not recommended. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. All that protein. All that. Yeah, that's. Yeah, don't do that. I have not seen that one. Yeah. And that would be a problem. Water bath canning eggs is, eggs are low acid. Um, They're also dense and uh, full of protein, right? The heat of a water bath isn't even going to touch any spoilers present. And canning eggs in general is not recommended because it's uh, a really high protein thing. So for low acid foods, water bath canning them is an F. We only recommend using your pressure canner. Yes. The only way to safely preserve low acid recipes is in a pressure canner, please refer to episode number three, which will explain all about acid and canning. And we'll be sure to link some good resources in our show notes for that too. The next common canning mistake is something I, I don't know. I just must not have ever seen anyone in person do this because I've seen it online, but I've, I don't know anyone who's ever done the paraffin wax seal. Anna, what is this about and why is it not a good idea and what can we do instead? Sure. Uh, the paraffin wax seal was something that was really popular, I want to say, in maybe 1940 to 1960. Um, and what it is is you heat up some wax And then once you have cooked your jam or jelly, put it in your clean jar, then you put a layer of wax on top of this jam and jelly, and you don't process it in a water bath canner at all. Mm. You put your lid on and you let it cool. And from what I've heard, it naturally pulls that seal down. It's not going to be a very tight seal, obviously. And the thinking behind it is that that wax seal would prevent any mold from growing on the top or just issues. I don't know. It's a very strange thought to me not to um, process the jars at all, but I have seen it quite a bit in other countries. I've seen it in Europe, specifically in Great Britain and Ireland and Scotland of people using waxed paper or paraffin wax seals or just 
just putting their jams and jellies in the cupboard without processing at all. I think because it is such a high acid food, people think that there's no chance of botulism. So for me, a paraffin wax seal probably gets like a C grade. Mm-hmm. Especially if it's a high acid food, we're going to give this a C minus. Like it's unwise, but I said like if it's your mother-in-law doing it and you don't want to have an argument, well then maybe just let that one lie. <laughs> but I asked my grandmother about paraffin wax. I asked her like, did you ever do that, or did you know? Do you did you know anyone that did that? She was born in 1932. And she said she thought that mice nibbled on the wax. She said she never did it, but she thought that that was a pitfall that she knew about was that mice would nibble the wax, which doesn't seem wrong to me. It seems like a potential problem. Interesting. I mean, she's just one grandma. But to her, she said, no, we never did that. But she thought that mice got into it somehow, which doesn't seem impossible to me. Right. And especially if you don't put a lid on it, if it's just wax, I could totally see that being an issue. Okay. So I think that covers what we have seen in terms of on social media, in DMs that we get, people asking like, hey, I know someone that does this, and what you can find in the wide, wide world of Pinterest and Google. So these methods aren't recommended by cooperative extension offices that have food scientists who test these types of things. And we are here to share with you the way to safely and effectively preserve your food at home. So for the ones that we gave a C to, I think what's a likely consequence of preserving this way is they're not shelf stable for as long. I think that's a best case scenario outcome for open kettle, dishwasher, oven, and the paraffin wax is they simply aren't as preserved as long. So if if you hear people say, oh, well, you know, my mom always did it like that, or so-and-so does it, and and they're fine. Nobody ever died. I hear that all the time. Nobody ever died. Well, that's great. I'm glad that no one ever died. But I think the best case scenario for those is they simply are not as delicious as long had they been properly water bath canned. Would you agree with that, Anna? I would agree with that. And I would also add that there always is the possibility of something being in there. So just take the extra 5, 10, 15 minutes of processing time and just do it right. Right. It doesn't cost very much money to boil a pot of water and it doesn't take a whole lot of time. And then the result is a jar that you can feel really confident is going to last truly indefinitely. A properly canned item can last indefinitely without spoilage. So to me, the benefit is certainly outweighs outweighs the 10 or 15 minutes of processing time it's going to take. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't take that much time or effort to do it the way that it's recommended. And the USDA and cooperative extension offices are there to help you if you have questions. We're here. If you have questions, you can always reach out to us at the Perfectly Preserved Podcast at gmail.com or in our DMs on Instagram. Awesome. Okay. I think that's the end of this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great day. That's our show. We don't want you to miss an episode, so please be sure to subscribe. If you found this episode helpful and informative, please give our show a rating and review. 
It only takes a few seconds and it really helps our show grow. Follow us on social media at Smart Home Canning and at The Domestic Wildflower. Email your preserving questions to perfectlypreservedpodcast at gmail.com and we will do our best to answer your questions on the show. Thanks so much for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode released every week.